Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. Hear now these words. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by His blood, effective through faith. He did this to show His righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous, and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By what works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one and he will justify the circumcised on the ground of faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Man, Pastor Adam, it happens to the best of us, and my worst fear almost just happened for a moment. I thought I left my sermon downstairs in my office, and I was going to have to go noteless. That would have been terrifying. Um, Miss Diana is in the back for the kids who want to go down for Crosswired. Um, So if there are any kids who want to go down there and have some fun and learn some more about God from Miss Diana, please go on to the back, and she'd be happy to take you down there. So I must admit, I'm a little bit jealous this morning because um, Pastor Adam got to talk about my favorite of the three graces last week. As we go through this sermon series with the Latin title that I cannot pronounce, um, we fittingly began last week talking about provenient grace. And I love provenient grace for the obvious theological reasons, but also because of my job. Um, So many teenagers who come to our youth group are just at the beginning of their faith journeys, and they don't really know where they stand with God. I don't really know where they stand with God, and it doesn't matter. I get to tell them no matter what, that they are loved by God. No matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, no matter who they are, they are loved by God. It is a fantastic privilege to be able to share that part of the gospel with teenagers. Whether it's their first time darkening the doors of the church or they've been coming here their entire lives, I get to tell them that. And that is provenient grace, that God loves us before we even acknowledge him, before we know him. And not only does he love us, it's not a passive love, but it's an active love. He is always poking, he is always prodding, he is always pushing and guiding and doing all that he can 
to get us to recognize him and love him back. That's one of the most incredible concepts about God to comprehend. And Adam got to talk about it instead of me. So I'm very jealous this morning. I get to talk about justifying grace, though. And don't get me wrong, I love me some justifying grace. Um, But it's just as much of an unfathomable expression of God's love for us as provenient grace. But to really begin to comprehend justifying grace, we have to talk about the hard stuff. We have to delve into our sinfulness and our brokenness as people. With prevenient grace, we get to talk about just the relentless, unconditional love of God before we knew him. With justifying grace, we simply must confront the truth that we have all turned our backs on God. We have all sinned. We have all harmed him. We have missed the mark of righteousness. We're all broken. We aren't living into the people who we were created to be. We harm one another. We harm ourselves. And due to our sinful actions, we have irrevocably fractured our relationship with God. And it's not just that we're negligent. Oftentimes, we are purposeful and meaningful in our sin Our actions cause damage. Our attitudes cause damage. Our systems cause damage. Our sins get the better of us. And our sin does have consequences. Oftentimes, it's simple, short-term, corporal uh, consequences. But there's also a spiritual consequence to our sin. God is good. God is eternal. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. God is love. But God is also just. Justice matters to God. When we harm one another, he cares. When our systems discriminate and treat people without dignity, he cares. When I let the anger get the best, my anger get the best of me, God cares and I'm thankful that he cares. It's not something that he can just shrug off. It's not something that he can just let slide. Our actions have spiritual consequences. And the primary consequence of sin is that it severs that relationship with God. God is so good, so loving, so holy, so righteous that the core definition of who he is cannot abide the wickedness inside of us. It separates us from him. God does not push us away. He does not stop loving us. Never does he stop loving us. But we separate ourselves from the presence of God's love. We turn our backs and refuse him. So I warned you, this is not as fun as provenient grace. (laughs) It's not as fun at all. But it is only in understanding this reality and the magnitude of our brokenness, of where we have put ourselves with our sin, that we can understand the magnitude of God's grace. We We put us where we are We broke the relationship. We turned our backs. We made ourselves unrighteous. And because God is just, because our actions matter, we cannot just be shrugged off. Our actions must be dealt with. We must be dealt with. Justice must be served. And it was served on the cross. Jesus was God incarnate. He took all of himself and he took on Uh, what it meant to be human. He took on human emotions. He took on the temptations of the world. He took on the hardships of life. He lived through it all. 
And he lived a life of perfect righteousness. But then he died on the cross anyway. He took it on. He put, he put himself, he did not put himself there. We put him there. Our sin is what nailed him to the cross. It was the consequences of our actions that necessitated death to satisfy justice. God died to pay the cost of our sinfulness. We created the debt, but Jesus chose to pay it. So now we've separated ourselves from God, we've turned our backs to him, and he continues to love us no matter what. But now the debt has been paid, justice has been satisfied, and our relationship with God can be reconciled. It is not unfixable. Jesus made the way for us to be restored. We can be who we were created to be. We can live into our purpose of those created in the image of God and bearing that image to the world in love. The way back has been paved through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But there's one more important piece left, and that's that we must accept Jesus' act of justifying grace. We must believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Holy Son of God. We have to believe that Jesus did die for our sins and rose again. We have to accept the reality of our brokenness, yes, but we also have to accept that his love is bigger and greater than all of our sin, and nothing can overcome the love of God. Jesus' work on the cross is a gift freely given to make us right with God, but we have to accept that gift. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You can die on the cross for the sins of all humanity, but you can't make them love you back. In John 6, 28, Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he sent. It's pretty simple. The work of God is this, to believe in the one who is sent. I'm terrible with gift cards, I absolutely appreciate them and accept them. No, I'm kidding. Please don't flood me with gift cards. Um, I'm terrible with them because I always forget to use them. Pre-pandemic, I would go to Root Cellar down the street all the time for just a change of scenery or to meet somebody for a cup of coffee or grab lunch and a sandwich. And I can't tell you how many times I paid for that sandwich with my credit card when sitting right behind it in my wallet was a gift card to the Root Cellar. I do, do it all the time. I still have it. It's still in my wallet. I ate there last week, and I didn't use it. Justifying grace is like the world's biggest gift card on steroids. Jesus has already paid the price, but until we redeem the gift card, it's not of any use. To make this metaphor truly work, we also have to talk about the truth that my credit card would also be rejected because I can't pay for the price of the sandwich on my own or salvation on my own but you kind of get it. When we believe in Jesus, the one who was sent, the one who died for our sins to satisfy the loving justice of God, when we believe, his payment is applied to our debt. Our debt is paid and we are reconciled with God. Our relationship is set straight. There is nothing left to separate us. And in being reconnected with God, we are also made new by his love. God views us as if we have never sinned and all guilt and shame is wiped away. We have been justified and made right with God. 
freed to live lives of joyful obedience and living into that created purpose, sharing God's love with the world. Much more on that next week with Pastor Adam again and sanctifying grace. But from broken and separate to new and reconciled, that is the work of justifying grace. Before we move forward any further, I just want to take a quick second to recap because there's one more thing that's very important for us to realize about justifying grace. So God created us to be in a loving relationship with him and we sever that relationship through our sin. Justice demands that our sin has consequences, but before we did anything to deserve it, in his provenient grace, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, willingly to pay the cost of our sin. And all we have to do to accept that justifying grace, that payment on our behalf, is to believe. So um, who did all the work there? Yeah, God did all of the work. What did we do? We did a great job of messing everything up. And then all we had to do was believe and accept the love that Jesus showed for us. His love paves the way. His love beckons. And all we have to do is respond. So in the scripture that we read, it tells us there is no reason that any Christian should ever have any sort of ego. We are all made equal under sin, but then we are all made equal under the justifying grace of God. No one has room to boast about anything but Jesus Christ. So that was a lot of theology this morning. <laughs> I get it. I'll be honest, I struggled with this sermon a little bit because I love stories, I love illustrations, and I just don't like any of the illustrations that people tend to use to explain justifying grace because there's just no real substitute for the perfect, holy, loving God dying for those who lived in defiance of him so that they can be reconciled. Either the God character of the story is in a way atoning for their own brokenness or the person receiving the act of sacrifice has actually done something in some way to earn it. There are so many Christ-like figures in literature and pop culture. I mean, we got our Harry Potters, our Frodo's, our underrated Walt from Gran Torino, Neo from The Matrix. We have all these Christ figures and stories, but none is a truly faithful reflection of the miraculous justifying grace of Jesus Christ. So I don't have a great story today. I don't have a great illustration. But what I do have is an invitation to our table this morning. Today is World Communion Sunday, and across the globe, tables are being prepared. Christ's table is being prepared. And we come to that table heavy with our sins. We confess our brokenness to God. And we remember, we remember the saving acts of Jesus Christ as his body was broken and his blood was shed so that our sins may be paid for and we could be forgiven and justified. There is nothing else like it. But though his body was broken and his blood poured out, one step remains, and that's that we must receive the gift we must receive the sacrifice. We must accept his faith, with faith, his love. Today, as we partake in the elements, remind yourselves of 
the goodness of God's justifying grace. It is a gift that we receive freely, and it is a gift that leads to life. Let us pray. Dear God, that was a lot of theology. (laughs) But God, we know that we're broken people, and we know that you love us, and we know that you died for us so that our relationship could be made right. God, we just pray that you would take away any obstacles that keep us from receiving your prevenient and justifying grace. God, we pray that we would humble ourselves, admit our brokenness, and accept your love. We are so thankful for what you've done for us. It's unbelievable. So we pray that you would help us believe. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.